Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Will you become impotent or get stronger and more impactful as you age? What if hustling is a symptom of an unhealthy mindset? And what can you do when you realize that society's dreams of success are based on bullshit? Today, author and coach Mark Silverman and I discuss the process of finding more power and more ease as we get older. We also dive into understanding what keeps us stuck and why too many men have it all but still feel unfulfilled. How are you, sir? I'm well, man. It's good to see your face. You look like a million bucks. Do I? Yes, you do. I, I look like a, like kind of. I look like a farmer. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not looking at your attire or your your state of <laughs> of uh, shave. I'm looking at uh, whether you look tired, old, uh, drunk. You know, all 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 the above. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. So thank you for doing this. Rich suggested I do this a year ago. And, uh, you know, resistance is a beautiful thing. Uh, I know. I'm, I, I got a book deal and now I'm, uh, I, I've decided it's time to go and record uh, and re- remix and remaster like seven or eight songs. So I got to knock all that out before I can do my book. <laughs> right. That, that's why uh, paying someone and telling, getting a three-month deadline to write a book gets a fucking book out and on the shelf. Now I'm doing it on my own, so I can do it whenever I fucking oh, yeah. want. Yeah. How are you, how, and how are you healing up? How's the Achilles? Uh, I am on two feet. Thank you. Uh, the, doctors, the doctor says I look like a person who's been a year out of surgery rather than two months. That's great. Uh, to thank, thank you, Dr. Joe Dispenza and, uh, the law of attraction in the quantum field and healing shit. <laughs> why, wh- why not just good old rest and exercise and, and, and diet? Well, how did the, how did master? I, no, I did. I did all that. Okay. Uh, you know, no sugar, no wheat, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, the intermittent fasting. So my, my body was absolutely tuned for healing. 
but I, at the same time, Steve Hardison, I had a conversation with Hardison and he sent me to, to just kind of listen to a Joe Dispenza video. And when a $150,000 a year coach tells you to go do something, you fucking go do it. Right. right. So of course I did his nine week program. As soon as I, I was like, I do uh, zero to 60. So I did his nine week program in a week and a half. And while I was doing the nine week program is when I was healing and I did all kinds of visualizations and all kinds of stuff. And the scab fell off and I go in and she goes, the hell, I just operated on you and it's like healed. Wow. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. Joe Dispenza? Joe, Joe was the one who was behind uh, uh, What the Bleep. Okay. Wait, 10 no, years that, ago. That was a ton of shit got discredited from. That was a bunch of bullshit in that. The, the law, yeah, it was, it's bullshit law of attraction. But what he does is he, talks, he just talks about how we have habitual thinking. Right. which affects our body in habitual ways. We get addicted to the way our body feels, so we attract the same things into our lives over and over and over again, and we have to disrupt the pattern. Okay. And if we can visualize and if we can change what we're thinking about for the future, we change our actions, we change our physiology, we, and then we change whatever we're sending out into the quantum field. No, nothing that doesn't jive with non-duality, nothing that doesn't jive with everything I've learned with Buddhism and working with Tony, it all jives. He just gives scientific jargon with that. Okay. All right. Got it. Because there's a ton of bullshit out there too. Yeah, but um, but it's changed. It's changed the way I think about everything. Yeah. And and the way I washed my brain when Hardison hit me, you know, like with you know five minute conversation and fifteen minute conversation and saw where my thinking was fucked up, even though this is what I do for a living. Yeah. It was brilliant. It was so good. Okay. Well, that I can dig. Right. We experience our thinking. We experience our you know, that, that's what we experience and that, that's how we view the world and everything. So I'm, I'm totally down with that. It's the whole, like, you can change the molecular structure of water. Wasn't that one of the things yes. that was full of shit in that movie? Oh, I didn't think it was full of shit. I have, I actually have the book from the guy who did the tests. You can, because I, I heard that that was discredited, like, big time. Somebody wiped their ass with that one. I got to look that no, up. No, never, never, never heard that one, but, uh. Yeah? You can but, change uh, the physical, because that's like turning into a ZZ Top video at that point, right? Where you... <laughs> you can fucking you're like hey you don't like your shitty volkswagen rabbit here bang you got this red sleek car yeah yeah no no i i <laughs> there's somewhere between the law of attraction the the universe is my santa claus flow bullshit right and what i put out <laughs> in the world is what i'm gonna get back okay there's somewhere in between there there you know there's um there's some reality and none of it is all the truth. All of it has some of the truth for me. Yeah. What is it? What Ken Wilber say? Uh, nobody's smart enough to be a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> Good. <laughs> all right. Hey. So tell me about uh, tell me about midlife crisis. What do, that's just your you're working on so, this and so this. so the book is called Mastering Midlife: How to Thrive When the World Asks the Most of You. So who am I writing it for? Of course, just like Only Tens, I'm writing this one for me. I'm 56 years old, kids in college, elderly mother, right? Uh, and 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 my body's changing, my energy's changing. Everything everything is different than what it was. So the premise is the 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 drives and the motivations that push you through your 20s and 30s. All those all those testosterone, all those testosterone. Uh, uh, beliefs, uh, things that happened in childhood, like I'm never going to be a failure because my family was poor, or trying to prove something, you know, trying to prove something to your dad who's been dead ten years, right. uh, and then all of a sudden, 
those drives and motivations that push you through your 20s and 30s, or you think that money is going to make you happy, mm-hmm. start to wane and start to turn on you in your 40s and 50s. Is it that we're, we're so I understand correctly, it's like, is it that we just wear those beliefs out like, oh, fuck, it was supposed to work out by now. And now the games, is that part of it? I think they get revealed as bullshit. Yeah. That's what I think what happens is, you know, so like when you remember James who died, uh, James Butler? Mm-hmm. Uh, James and I used to talk about this. The reason that I coach mostly the guys in their 40s and 50s is because they're ripe for this. They've already tried everything. They've already they've already come to some point in life where the shit that they were doing stops working. Yeah. And they wake up one day and they go, the job, what the, you know, I have all the money I need. What the fuck? I had the wife I always wanted. Now I don't even like her anymore. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with her. Yeah. Right? And And then all of a sudden they're like, what the fuck am I doing? And then what happens is we anesthetize that feeling. We either run from that feeling, right? we fight the feeling, or we anesthetize it. Or we attach meaning to it, right? Oh, this means my life's fucked, and I'm fucked. If I'm having this feeling, it's, there's a, we could be fixed about it, right? Where it's just like, oh, this is it. Game over. I fucked it up. I didn't do it right. Instead of, oh, maybe it's a point to, it's the next, it's the next stage of development. How am I going to respond? And I think every person responds differently. There's the people who die at 40, buried in seven, at 70, and they just anesthetize the whole thing. Yeah. There's the people who say, you know what, I'm going to blow this shit up. Did I lose you? You know, the, the people who blow this, you know, I'm going to blow this shit up. Yeah. And then there's the people who try and cover it with a, with a sports car, with, a, with an affair, with, you know, with all the toys and stuff. And then they, and these are the people who live all around me in these million dollar houses who, uh, look great on Facebook. And then as soon as I get them in my office, they're like, I just can't fucking wait for this to end. Well, there's, a, I've, I've been through several of these points. I don't know. Is it, is it cause I'm, I'm in another turning point now in my life. I'm in another turning point now and, and how I even approach my business. And I've been through several of these. Is it really, is it really about middle age? No. So, so, so while we were, while I was thinking about preparing for this and I'm working with Casey Baker on, on basically my Ted talk on this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I realized is middle age for me, this is the whole subject. And what I realized is if someone asked me to define middle age, you know, midlife Mm -hmm. for me, and that's why I brought up James, it's when at some point, and it could be at 15 years old, and then you're labeled a freak because you're not going to conform to society's expectations. But it could be in your 20s, it could be in your 40s, where you finally go, fuck, it's society that's crazy. I'm not. You know, it's, it's when you wake up and say, I have been trying, I've been working towards all these goals, and I'm not even sure I want them. Mm-hmm. And you start to wake up to that maybe there's something different than the plan you set in motion. I believe that that's where midlife starts. So and we get attached to, start. so what happens is when we get attached to some plan, we get an idea. We're like, hey, this is the path I'm going to follow. But somewhere along the way, we lose sight of our inner guidance system. And we're working and we're running on automatic. We're running on the thoughts, the beliefs of the past, the things that happened in our, in our past that, that uh, are familiar to us. When this happens, we're going to do this. And we turn into these, you know, Westworld robots and the future starts to look a lot more predictable mm-hmm. from the decisions in the past, rather than questioning everything that happens in the past, letting go of those things in the past, and then making fresh decisions going into the unknown. We don't like the unknown. Of course not. You and I like the unknown. I don't know. A- I don't, I'm not going to fucking act like I like it. That's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> it is uncomfortable. All right. You, you, but, but, you're, but you want the unknown and you want this life 
much more than you want to be sitting at a desk at a government job. Yeah, but I'm not going to say. Yeah, I just want to be really clear because I think there's people out there that can be. They'll turn this uh, into an either or. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people that likes the unknown, which is different than like nobody fucking really likes the unknown. It's uncomfortable, but it's how right. you respond to it. So I like I like how you you flipped that there because I don't I don't like to. It zips the humanity out of things. And it, and so, it says like, so, well, therefore I'm I'm off the hook. I don't have to do that because I'm not one of those types of people. And it's just like, no, you can learn how to deal with it. So, and that's the premise of my coaching practice. So I looked at the people that I coach, and you know, as coaches, uh, most of most of my contemporaries as a, as a coach would say, "What is your bliss? What is it you always want to do? What's your heart desire? What's your passion?" And all of my clients will give me the middle finger and go, "Fuck you! I have kids in college. I have elderly parents. I have bills. Plus, I kind of like my job. I just don't like the pressure." Mm-hmm. Now, the conversation I have is, "How do we make that sustainable?" If you, if you, what's if you're advised, make what sustainable. The career, the career, the whole life, the whole life. So how do how do you when you're when you're in your 40s and 50s, and all of a sudden those motivations aren't there, and then you have younger people who are willing to go out until two o'clock in the morning, and then they're up at six at the gym at their desk by seven, and they're going to outwork you because you're going to your your daughter's ballet recitals. Right. How do you retool so that you can thrive and not try and keep up in the same way? Uh, that you did 10 years earlier. There's a game we play in our 20s. There's a game we play in our 30s. And then there's, okay, I'm at this a whole stage. Different ga- a whole different game in our 40s and 50s. And that's where legacy comes in. So one of the, uh, I asked my son to do some research on it. Greg, Ma- you, know, you know, baseball, Greg Maddox. Okay. Yeah. When he first when he when he first came into the major leagues, he was throwing in the low 90s and he had really good location. So he was a really good pitcher. Wasn't a Hall of Famer yet, mm-hmm. but he was a really good pitcher. Then all of a sudden, after a few years, his velocity started to come down. As his velocity started to come down, he knew that he needed to do something to stay relevant. So he worked maniacally on his location and his mechanics to where he, he dropped his walk rate substantially and he could locate a pitch so well that his, they did demonstrations where his catcher would be blindfolded and his catcher could catch his pitches because the location was so accurate. Mm. And then as the steroid, the steroid, this was, you know, during the steroid um, era, uh, he became a student of the game and he learned the strengths and weaknesses of every batter. So he's getting older and he's getting smarter and wiser. His physical prowess is getting less, but now he's learning the strengths and weaknesses of every batter. He's learning their body language so that he can tell what they're expecting and throw something different. That's where you go from being a really good player to a great Hall of Fame player to one of the top five legends of the game. So is it that in our in our 20s and 30s, we're, we're doing this kind of brute force thing. I got to go fast. I got to go strong. I got to go hard. I got to stay up long. And then... And then, but as we get older, we get, we start to leverage our experiences more. That's, and we, Hopefully, we expand. If we're smart. Yeah. If we're smart and if we're evolved. And then again, you know, so for my clients, I'm teaching them uh, how to now, how to have relationships with their families. I'm teaching them leadership skills so that because they've been, they've been promoted to new levels of, uh, of responsibility you know, teaching them leadership skills so that they could leverage their people. I, I take them from from tactical, where they outworked everybody, to strategic. And 
you know, often one of the hardest things when someone gets promoted from a tactical position into a strategic position up into the executive suite, it's taking their grubby hands off the, off the wheel and delegating and letting other people do the hard work where they do the visioning. Uh, so that, that's that point. So think about the Tour de France. The guys who win the Tour de France aren't the young guys who power through and are in better shape than, uh, than the older guys. It's the guys who are in their late 20s, early 30s who win the Tour de France because they've learned energy management. So I'm getting that as we get into our 40s, we've got to learn how to play a different game. We don't have the energy. We can't we can't compete on that level with the younger guys. But we've got to start to recognize what gets, we've got to start to recognize our strengths and the things that we can develop. So what gets in the way? Why why aren't people doing this naturally? Why 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 do we have to be taught this? Go into go into that part. Why would we be resistant to that growth? So. I think resistance is just a natural thing. You and I were just talking about, you know, when writing our books, the resistance that goes with that. But the, the resistance to change is because we're so addicted and so comfortable with the familiar, with the past, doing things the way we've always done them. Right. Doing something in a different in a different fashion is scary. We don't normally like. You just said I don't like the unknown. We don't like doing things that we don't know what the outcome is. We don't like learning so the, either. Is going through the suck. Right. There's a period when we're learning things where we suck at it. Right. So I was just I was just coaching the CEO of uh, of a multi billion dollar company last week, and he comes into the office where I'm doing the coaching, and he and he sits down and he goes, Mark, why the fuck do I have to think about their feelings, and why do I have to work help bring draw them out, and why do I have to worry about you know the inter inter office dynamics and all that shit? And I looked at him after he was done with his tie ride, and I said, You actually don't. Because what do you mean? I said, You don't have to do that. You can just be a tyrant and and bulldog your company, you guys are going to make billions of dollars. There's no problem here. But you said you wanted something different. You said you wanted a different kind of company, and you said that you love these guys who you're bringing along. So if you're, if that's true, then expanding your range and learning new things is the place you need to go. Right. And he was like, and he slumps in his chair. He goes, you're right. It's exactly what I want. Okay. Seems like there's go. that child in us, right? That just doesn't want to have to deal with shit. I don't want to do that. I want to put my shoes away. I don't want this. I don't want that, right? There's just the resist. There's that aspect to it. I want this, but I don't want to have to put in the work. I want the outcome. I don't want to have to do any of the, the what's required to get there. And so I can, I, I can just see the, if I really polarize this, it's like, I can do the work. Or I can sit on my ass and just bitch. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I had a CIO in my uh, multinational corporation in my office just this morning. And the first thing he does is he sits down and he goes, you know, Mark, my default is just staying in bed. He says, I'm thinking of selling everything and just moving into a one-bedroom apartment and just, like, just stay. <laughs> I, why the fuck do I have to go and give this presentation? And, you know, and like, you don't, right? You don't. But you tell me that that's your father. So your default is your father. And anything else is going to be work, expansion, changing habits, changing actions. And that's, that's one of the reasons we don't, uh, we don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I like that point too, where as coaches, we can't want that thing more than our client wants it. It's just really painful. It's like, well, yeah, I get that you paid me and you, you want me, but I can't want it more than you. I can't just be your mommy and, and nag you to get up and go put your shoes away kind of thing. It's, it's, and that's where the power of silence is just brilliant. Cause you can just sit there with the elephant in the room of, yeah. Do it or not. There you go. And if you choose to do it, we have something to talk about. <laughs> okay. So we're getting this this sense that there's uh, essentially two real broad paths as, as somebody heads into to middle age. 
um, there's a there's a real upside to well, what is the upside? Well, let's let's say you you mentioned legacy. What are the things that would be that would motivate me to go through the suck of learning? Why would I care? So I'll tell I'll tell you what what usually happens is uh, if you if you decide not to go through the suck of learning, life has a way of making you go through the suck of learning because you get sick, mm-hmm. your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your marriage starts to crumble. You get fired. Life has a way of forcing its hand yeah. for you to deal. If you don't deal proactively, life is going to figure it out for you. You know. So I was I was I was coaching an executive, and he you know was one of those. Um, before we actually started working together, we were talking, and I said, "So, um, how many affairs have you had?" And he said, "I've never had an affair." So okay, he said, "I've had some one night stands." I said, "That's good." <laughs> Uh, and then a couple of minutes later, he says, okay, so I had, a, I had an affair for a year with my secretary. I said, thank you for admitting that you're a cliche, <laughs> right? And then he said, then he started talking about his integrity. My integrity, I have the, my integrity is everything to me. So does your wife know about the affair? No. Do your children? No. How's your integrity? My integrity, well, everything but this. And then we, we talk a little further. I said, so how's your health? My health is great. Really? Okay. A couple minutes later. Did I tell you I had a heart attack three years ago? I'm like, no, but of course I knew that. You're 50 years old. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're a top executive. Of course these things are going to hit you. So life has a way of slamming you to the ground and making you wake up at some point. So let's go into that because it sounds like this guy's bullshitting himself and he's bullshitting the world in hopes of what? what, do you, what do you, what's he trying to outrun? Other, I get that he's trying to outrun the truth, but what's the consequence for him? If he's trying to outrun the truth, then what's he trying to outrun? I don't know that he's trying to outrun the truth, but he's trying to maintain the facade of what he thinks he, who he thinks he is. Because it's too painful to confront who he really is and what life really is about. He actually wound up signing on, and he signed on specifically because I cornered him on the integrity piece. And he, he, he said, I want to change that. I think that's where I would want to drill in a little more, I think, is we can understand that. But I don't know if anybody that would be reading your book or listening to this would, would say, well, why bother if, if it's a secret? It's not hurting anybody. It's going to hurt more people if I blah, blah, blah. That, that whole little mental game there. But there's a, there's a piece here of we've got to own the truth. We've got to own what's actually happening in our lives. Um, and there's a facade that we're buying into that facade keeps us comfortable, right? In the moment until it doesn't, right? Until something comes along and shakes it up. And what you're saying is that eventually that truth is going to catch up. Do we want want to get out ahead of it? Do we want to get out ahead of it and deal with it front, front, uh, directly, or are we going to wait until it it comes up and, and gets us? That's the, you know, that's the whole premise of uh, my first book, Only Tens, is you know, a, few, a little bit of preparation on Sunday night or Monday morning changes the whole flavor of the week. Getting upstream is, is, is the key to but, – but you have, you have to – the only way someone's going to do my program, Only Tens, is if they are just done with the freaking overwhelm. That they've been living with and get it, you know, hitting a bottom. It, you know, everything comes back to AA for me. Until we hit a bottom, generally we won't change. 
And that's, again, why midlife is such a great place to work with, with, with people because the, the, the drives and the motivations and the, and the sheer brute force of being young and being hungry and having illusions and having you know, these, these dreams will mask all that. Mm-hmm. So you get a few dreams shattered. You have a few physical ailments. Your relationship doesn't turn out the way you want it to do. All of a sudden, you're willing to listen. You're porous. And now the light can get in. Yeah, the thing that I'm getting, I have a real technical term for this part. It's called post fuck it, which is if we know, <laughs> if we if we study the the hero's journey. I don't know if, if Joseph Campbell would have said would have called it this, but right there's this point of it's like we're resisting the call, we're resisting the call into the next phase of our life because there's this thing. It's like you know what? If I just hang in here long enough, this thing's going to happen. This other thing's going to come along, or whatever. We, we've got this idea that. The facade is going to take care of it or whatever, right? We're just, we've bought into this thing. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, I know I need to take care of my health or yeah, yeah, I know I need to tell my wife about X, Y, Z or whatever, but but I'm just going to fucking hold out here. And then at some, some point, shit turns, flips, whatever, we're on our ass and it's like, fuck it. It's up to me. I've got to be the one that does it. That guy's curious. That guy's coachable. That guy is willing to lean in and actually do the process Pre-fuck it, he's going to listen to podcasts, he's going to read books, he's going to tell everybody he's interested in XYZ, but he's not doing the work. And so I, I, I know when I'm coaching somebody or when I'm getting ready to coach somebody, I'm really filtering and pushing for post-fuck it. Because I, I don't necessarily want to coach some guy to be post-fuck it. It's really painful. It's just like dragging him along. But once you decide, fuck it, I've got I've to take full responsibility here, I've got to make this change... Now, I, now, man, everything's wide open. We can, we can get to work. Things can move quickly. Um, does that, is, there a, is there a point to, is there a way to get there in midlife? Do we have to have everything come crashing down? And that's the whole point of, 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 for me, of the conversations that I'm having, to give people the warning signs that this is headed. So when, uh, I was coaching last week. I was coaching a guy who's 31 years old. And he's on the and he's just been made a partner in a billion dollar company. So he is now going to be richer than he's ever been in his life. And he got there by working harder than anybody else. And we were sitting having lunch, and he and and he said, "Mark, I've never been happier. This is great. I got this beautiful girlfriend. I'm making all this money, all this stuff." And then he says, "And by the way, I gained a bunch of weight." And he says, "I didn't look like this two years ago. He's only 31 years old. Mm. I didn't look like this two years. Now my hair's thinning. Look, and he had a big bald spot, and he's got gray hair, right? And uh, and he's like, and I have a, I can't sleep. He's ripe. He's 31 years old. He's in midlife. I'm like, dude, this is the perfect time. You're still young. You still, you know, and 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 all this is ahead of you. If I can teach you how to be the kind of man who can handle this kind of success." The impact that you're going to make, the legacy with the with the millions and millions of dollars that he's going to be making, is going to be huge. Hmm. Or what's the what's the downside? He just gets down, bald and down, fat. Down, the, the downside is he has a heart attack at 35 years old, hmm. and that million dollars, that multi million dollars, goes to his freaking parents because mm-hmm. he doesn't have kids yet. I think that's the part that we're not in touch with. Is like, yeah, that can happen to those guys. I'm not. That's not me though. 
So look at you know look at Grant Cardone and and uh, and Gary Vaynerchuk and all these guys who are like the hustle man the grind you got to outwork everybody ten ten times and all that stuff <laughs> you know and I'm looking at I'm looking at Grant Cardone and I'm going God I wish I could be like no I don't want I was like him I don't want to be like him and then I look at his past and he was he was absolutely a drug addict you know what's driving him is he was a drug addict and a loser it's a beautiful story of turnaround but right. he just channeled all that shit into success and planes and cars that's the next where, thing. You know, so the hustle, the hustle. Yes, you need to work hard. Yes, you need to. You know, you there's a certain amount of grind, but the 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 glorification of the hustle that's all over Twitter, to me, is insanity. I agree. It's it's you know it's frightening to me that you know this holy grail and somehow the pendulum has to swing. I want to. I keep wanting to come back to this this idea of the middle age because there's a there's a there's an aspect there that we have to come back, which is identity. Is do I even want to see myself? Is middle age? Do I even want to identify as middle age? I took my daughter to get her hair cut yesterday, and like right there, there's this big stand, and it's like, get your gray out of your beard. And I'm like, huh? Like, <laughs> I didn't know that I should get the gray out. I didn't know that that was a thing. You know, I thought I remember those ads where they like paint something on his face, and it's like, you know, you got blisters two hours later. But it was like, oh, so is that is that is that part of it? Which is that's not me. I'm not that guy. I haven't reached that point where I've, I've got those problems. Those are those other guys. I think that's the, because that's what I bump into so often, which is I'd rather hold on to the hustle and drive myself into the ground because at least I don't open myself up to that criticism or I'm not somebody I can't stand, right? There's some shadow aspect there. Who am I if I'm not hustling? Who am I if I'm not winning? Who am I if I'm not always progressing, always getting better, making more, blah, blah, blah. Like to have any kind of lateral movement or God forbid, any kind of movement the other way, the opposite direction is a, is a total failure. Um, so these ideas can be great, but I, I've just recognized like that's the fucking anchor is like the guy just does not want to look at own who he really is. I'm the guy with the gray beard, right? Uh, so in, the, in, my, in my men's group uh, at 50, you're supposed to do an elder ceremony. And I turned 50 and my, my group is like, all right, Mark, it's time for you to do the elder ceremony. And I was like, fuck you. How about I'm we change the name and, of that? Yeah, I'm, t- I'm, too, I'm too young and pretty for this. No. Uh, 51, Mark, you ready to do it? No. 52, 50, 53. I said, they, someone said to me, no, Mark, this doesn't mean you're old. It means that you're preparing for sagehood. You're preparing for the next. I'm like, all right, I'll do the fucking ceremony. So I did the ceremony, but it wasn't until the, <laughs> this past year when I was 55, just turned 56, that I actually grew out this gray fucking Steve Chandler beard, you know, where I decided I'm not these young bucks who are climbing mountains and coaching people into their uh, impossible goals kind of guy. I am the elder statesman. Uh, I'm no longer competing with these people. I am now in a different stage in my life. So what was that? So what was that for you? What did it mean when somebody said it's time for your elder thing? When you heard elder, what what was the thing in your mind? Honest, honest to God, that I that I'm now the old guy standing in the corner that the young girls go, isn't he cute? And they come and hug because they think I'm harmless and that kind of thing. It, it was that thing. It was like I'm just the cuddly teddy bear in the corner instead of a player. Um, it, is there, there's an there's an there's an aspect of impotence there, like the. It, I, is it some kind of zone thing of like, I'm not dangerous? Invisible impotence, that thing. The irony is the moment I, I actually embraced 
this elderhood, grew the beard, and really just decided when I walk into a room that I'm not 27, I am 56, and that most of these people can be my children and I am there to guide. That's when women and men started to respond to me like crazy. I, I had no idea that embodying this next natural next stage in life would be attractive to people. So I'm going to resist this phase, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold out. Maybe maybe I can be 27, even though I'm in my <laughs> 40s or whatever, right? And But what we're saying is we resist that call. We resist really stepping into the next phase of our power, which is even a greater version of our power. And we just can't see it, right? We're not used to it, and especially in our yeah. culture, which seems to say there's something that we haven't really identified what that power might be. But I think that as men, and I don't know, do you see this in women too, where there's a resistance to step into that? Like, But as men, there's a sense of impotence, like I'm no longer desirable, I'm no longer seen as uh, somebody that can bring power, penetrate the room and, and be desired. Or Unless it, you, you know, if you're a man and you have a ton of money and a ton of power, you can use that. But if you're a man and you don't have any of those things, yeah, then I would say you feel really impotent. I, I, I bet the, the most of the men that I talk to who do have money and power feel in, in, impotent also, but they're able to compensate so they don't have to feel it as much. Do women uh, do this? Do women go through this? What's the, what's the version for women? Because women actually go through a process of menopause. Like there's a huge aspect that says, yeah, you're no longer a childbearing woman. You're no longer in that place. Is that part of your work too, or is this specific more? It is. Specific? It is. It is. You know, it is. It is part of my work because I'm watching. I, I, I'm fortunate because I'm watching a lot of mature women who are now trailblazing this acceptance of the next phase and how sexual they can be after menopause. How powerful and beautiful and feminine they can be, even if they gain weight or have lines on their face. It's a whole new thing that I'm seeing. On one hand, we you know we worship youth, and it really is a sin for women to age. On the other hand, there's a whole new movement of women who are embracing this in the next phase. Okay. I see that too, and it's exciting, um, but it seems if I come back to my resistance to want to own like, fuck yeah, I'm going to step into this next phase of my life. It's just, it seems like a black hole. I'm not going to be able to fuck. I'm not going to be able to have power. I want to be relegated to the corner. Um, like, it's just a downhill thing. Of course, I'm going to claw and scratch and not go into it. I'm not going to want to even hear your ideas because that's just right. not me. I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Yes, yeah, I was just telling my client this morning, he says, you know, Mark, I've been moving really slowly over the last couple of years we were working together. I said, you know what? You get in a room with me every other week. You know how many people run from the building talking to me? Every week you expand your range just a little bit. Every week you try something new. Every week you're – and over the over the couple of years, look where you are now. I said, I said don't ever disparage those little baby steps because most people, when I talk to them, will – run the other way because they're not interested in, you know, do you, uh, did you see the um, Will Smith video of him going skydiving? Uh, no. He did, he did a whole, he did a, it's a look up the video. He did a whole video about how terrified he was to go skydiving. Yeah. He, he said he made everybody look, look like he was fine, but he was terrified. Yeah. He says, and he gets up in the plane and they say, they're going to push you, you know, one, two, three, jump. And they say, they do one, two, and they push you because they know on three, you're going to put your <laughs> you hands on up. the door and you're not going to go out the, out the window. So they push you on two. He says, and then the second you leave the, the fuselage, 
it's wee, it's free, right? Yeah. It's that, and it, and I think that's everything. It's before you walk on stage. It's before you press go on a video. It's before you have a difficult conversation. Yeah. That's that's the scariest time, and then you do it, and that freedom is amazing. So it seems like we've got to have that that as part of our um, wiring. That okay, I I've been really scared before. I've been convinced that thing was going to kill me. And then I found out it was actually where I found, I found more of myself. I felt more alive. I felt like another doorway had opened up. We've got to, we've got to have some relationship to the process of confronting fear, right? Where that anticipation sucks. The process, the the thing, doing the thing itself is actually pretty fucking fun. And then afterwards it's like, man, I want to do that again. Right. But most of us are stuck in stage one, which is, I'll die. That sucks. And I'll spend my entire life here and have heart attacks and, you know, all the other shit you talked about in the resistant phase of going into, into middle life. Um, Can middle life be we, can it be, woo? Can it, can it be that for some of us? I think so. I'm, I'm finding it now because I've conditioned myself, you know, for, you know, I've gotten over that, that hump of, okay, I'm the older guy. I've gotten over that hump that my, you know, my life is different. My children are, are, are going off and living their lives. I have kids who are going to live their own lives. They're doing their own thing. They're, they're, they're adults. My work up to this point, it, you know, has produced what it produced. So now what's the next phase in my life? How am I going to live my life? Mm-hmm. Then watching my own relationship. You know, when I was 50, I had more sex than I've ever had in my entire life. When I was 50, I was having a time of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, that was keeping me from wanting to go over that threshold of right. elderhood. I finally figured out who I was, what I liked, what was going on, and I was just having a blast. And then I got into a relationship. And I had got into a beautiful relationship. I loved my relationship. And now I'm six years into the relationship. I'm a 56-year-old man, right? So I'm in a mature relationship with another mature person. Everything is different. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not as hot as it used to be. And, all, and how do I now take it to the next level? This is the point in a relationship where you either go your separate ways or you dig deep and then you build something that's even more beautiful. Yeah. And to build something more beautiful, you have to have the conversations you never wanted to have. Mm. You know, again, the sex and the excitement and the newness and the kids around propelled us through the first six years. My kids are gone. You know, now, now what are we going to build from here? It's the same thing as midlife in a relationship. Can we, are we willing to do what we need to do to build something even more beautiful than what we had before when it was hot and young and, and, and passionate? I think that one of the things I'm getting here is like we can approach these points in our lives as a child or as an adult. And when we approach them as a, and I've been thinking about child versus everyone's into this masculine feminine thing. And I don't think that's as powerful as child or adult child and adult, that mindset dictates so much of what happens in our life. And it's not that you want child over adult or anything like, or, or vice versa. It's that the, I think the adults in service of our child, right? Like where's the fun, where's the energy, where's the zest. But if it's going to be the child, like my daughter doesn't want to do anything fucking new, it, even if it'll be the most fun thing she'll ever do in her life. She just resists anything just because it's different. And then on the other side of it, she's great. And she, you know, and then she immediately forgets that she in, in, w- was resistant to it. Right. And I just see that in adults as we get older, which is like, oh, here's that new thing. I don't want to go through it. Um, I want to stay right where I am. I want to resist that point. And so I'm imagining if I 
if I stay locked in that mentality and I don't see myself as an adult that uh, approaching these places, then um, I'm always going to resist. I'm always going to look at the the glass half empty and, and not see, hey, look at all the times I've I've turned directly into these things, gone deeper, taken risks, whatever it is, hooked into the the harness and gone off. Um, I'm just, it's going to be really fucking hard resisting everything through life. Yeah. I, I want to help people kind of flip into that, that, that stance. Cause I think it is a stance. Once we get into that perspective, then the, then the choices actually make themselves pretty apparent, but the resist, the, the, the aspect that we resist is, yeah, if I just stay stuck in my child, I can be a 50 year old guy that is freaking miserable and look constantly looking in the rear view mirror and thinking everything's a threat. How many, how many 50 year old, 60 year old children do you know? I know a lot. And then, and then whenever you're arguing with someone who's triggered, if I can stay in a more enlightened state and not be as triggered, I see that I'm arguing with a child. Yeah. All over and over again. Yeah. But back to, back to the facing of the fear, you and I, you know, our mutual friend, Tony Benici has taught me about leaning in and making that a habit. And, uh, I have up on my whiteboard, uh, the obstacle or quote unquote, the resistance is the way from stoicism. You know, once I see that I'm scared of something, moving towards it. Once I see that I have resistance to something, moving towards it and making it a habit of leaning in. So the zip line was my first foray into, oh my God, I'm going to jump. Mm-hmm. Then I went and did a trapeze and that same fear came up. Zip lines, I'm fine. Trapeze, very, it's a different way of lean. You have to <laughs> lean your hips over the thing. And well, the thing that got me through the trapeze was going, knowing that once I do this, I'm going to say we, right? So that's uh, public speaking every time I get on stage. Uh, and I, I speak a lot. I get terrified. Yeah. And I now know how to use that energy to get myself onto stage because I know once that one minute has passed, the 30 seconds has passed, you're going to have to drag my ass off the stage. I think that's it, right? Is you can't do it without the kid. You got to employ the kid. Right. You got to give some bait to the kid, even if it's like, you know, I'm talking to a nutritionist and, or a trainer or something. They're like, yeah, we're going to help you be strong. You're going to be able to have keep your knees. You're going to be able to shoulders and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, and you'll have abs. The kid's like, yeah, sweet. Let's go. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> there's no, you know, it's, this, it's that there's that hook in there, that, that emotional part. The Jonathan Haidt calls it the, the elephant, right? Like it's that emotional part. Of like if we get that on board, then yes, we're, we're, we're going to go. But without that part, it's going to feel really freaking hard. And so I'm imagining, okay, I've got this choice. I can embrace it. I'm getting older. I can embrace that things are turning gray and, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. Where's that emotional hook? Where's that emotional part that has the elephant say, let's go. This sounds awesome. You, you know what Ho'oponopono is, right? Uh-huh. Ho'oponopono is uh, you know, the, the ancient Hawaiian uh, conflict resolution protocol. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love right. you. And it's all about getting to a zero state, getting to even and and healing the karma that's outside and inside of us. So I went through the certification program. What I didn't know about that is they have a whole section in the certification program about dealing with the inner child. And they say, if you don't deal with the inner child, if you don't bring him snacks to school, use his favorite lunchbox, talk to your inner child and bring him along because he runs the show. So if you don't make him happy, he's going to wreak havoc on you and throw tantrums. And they actually- Or get depressed or drain you, right? Like all of that, right? Yeah. So all this codependent inner child stuff is actually, all the stuff that's cliche and that we kind of turn our nose up, 
is true and it, and it has an impact in our life no matter how big and macho and adult we seem to be well it's 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 i think it's the both and as we go as we go as we address something most of us are like yeah let me take care of all the shit i gotta do first to be safe and comfortable but then we we, we don't ask that part it's like what would make this fun what would make this enjoyable what would what has me get excited about it um yeah and of course then everything's a fucking slog at that point right and i think that, you know what i mentioned earlier in the in this call where it was just like i'm at that turning point it's like oh i've got to i've got to recalibrate where the fun is what what used to be fun is not it's not it's never set it and forget it what used to be fun is no longer fun so where's the fun now and oh there's uncertainty there so it takes effort to figure out where the fun is it takes some Take some take some energy to, to to experiment and be like, yeah, let's see, let's see where the fun is. And this come, this is where the practice and the and the work comes in uh, in in the solutions that I'm offering in the book and in my work is the mindfulness to learn what is what I call a false ten and only tens, a shiny object that we think is going to be fun. Uh, you know, going through your Twitter feed for the dopamine hits right mm. or uh you know eating eating chocolate chip cookies we think that those are the fun things that we really want how do we get down to the essence of what really is going to make us happy bring us joy that the things that we really desire and that our hearts and our little children really want not the little band-aids yeah. and really slowing down to learn who we are so that we actually do set our compass to those things and not the shiny objects along the way do you have stories of people that have stepped into into this next phase of life that um because I think that's also too is like we don't want to be the only one we, we you know is there a party going on? I don't want to miss the party, right? Is there is there something exciting that's happening there? Who else is doing this? Uh cuz it, it, the the party that's being broadcast is the is the party that's happening in the 20s and 30s. So it is I mean what's it what what does that fun look like in this next phase of life in middle age. Cause I, when we think of middle age, we don't necessarily think of fun. So, so the, the first, the first thing I'll have to say is there's a relaxing. Once I, once I accept the letting go of that youth, the letting go of the way things used to be and the way I had used to have to be the competition and all that, and realizing I'm not going to compete on the same level. There's a, there's just a relaxing of my body, of my mind, and there's a there's an acceptance to life. And when once I relax and accept the flow, accept accept life as life is, not as how I thought it should be or how I want it to be. I, I'm always I'm always laugh at these new coaches who find this new thing and decide that now they're all in on this. And it's like, dude, in about a year and a half, you're going to figure out that that's just a little piece of the puzzle, and there's so much more. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and then we can start to tap into the flow of life. And, and for me, what happens is I have, I have spontaneous bouts of well-being. Spontane <laughs> I love where the way I'm you just said that. There, well, what, because is this? My, my, what is this I'm experiencing? It's well-being. <laughs> my normal state was, you know, like if I could get to not anxious, I was happy. Right. And then all of a sudden, like, spontaneous bouts of absolute love. Mm. And now I throw the I turn the camera on and get on Facebook and go I love you people and I'm like that would have mortified me right. a couple of years ago now I you know what I don't give a shit the world needs it yeah. so and but then I talk to my clients and my clients only know in hindsight so when you talk about the stories they each talk in hindsight uh, again this morning the, the guy I was coaching he says Mark when does it ever fucking get easier 
I said, dude, you were just talking about your new CEO and how he was drilling your ass on all the details of your project. And that you just went, oh, you know, that was actually pretty cool. He actually ferreted out a few really interesting things. Two years ago, you would have crumbled. You would have said he gave me a proctology exam and that guy can't fucking handle this. Because you're right. So now it's no big deal. Now it's like you actually see why he was doing that. Yeah. That's, you know, there's all, there's all so much, so much less rattles me. I still get rattled, but it takes a different level of thing to get rattled. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that's uncomfortable is when I'm off, when I'm not meditating, when I'm not mindful, when I'm not exercising. Now, you know, being on a strict clean food diet, as soon as I add ice cream and cake at a wedding, I was sick as a dog, where it used to be my norm, and I didn't know I was always sick as a dog. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, eating clean, I see the difference. So this, 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 this well-being, this relax, and then after that, the wisdom, the intuition, the creativity that comes in to the people that I work with, they're now doing things that were so out of their realm before, and then their health improves. Yeah. Is there a grieving period? Where we where we let go, we say goodbye. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm not like we 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 were going through pictures yesterday in our garage and, and finding some stuff to hang in the house, and I found all these pictures from my previous life before I was married, and it was like I was in a band and we were fucking partying and in the studio and all that, and I was like, and then in Paris and I just you know Italy, like I had all these experiences and shit that I did before I started a family. And it was like, I felt a little like I, first I felt really glad, like, wow, you, you, you really lived, you went for it. You made the most of that time that you had and the experience you didn't just sit around and dick around. And so I was grateful for that. Cause at, I remember at the time it was uncomfortable to lean into some of those things. It'd been a lot easier at the time to just stay comfortable and stay where I was. Right. Getting on a plane can be challenging. And, uh, but the, but the other part was, was a sense of grief. Like, oh, that I'm never going to get that again. That's. That that way, it's not going to happen that way again. It'll it may some of those things may happen in a different way going forward. So is 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 what does it grief look like when we just say yeah that that there's a phase and that's done. God, what a great question. So I I grieved probably more than two things, but I'm thinking of two things. First, I grieved the loss of youth, the loss of of that old life and that old way of being, of running marathons, of, of being able to compete and do all that. But there was a deeper grief for me, and that was the loss of whatever dream the little kid in me was hoping to find. What was, your, what was that dream? <sighs> you always make me go there. So my, my dream was always to find some, as a little kid, was to find Superman, was to find someone to take care of me, to find safety, to finally feel safe, because I never felt safe in my entire life. And grieving the loss of the fact that someone was going to come save me and make me feel safe. And realizing that actually I would... So once I did that, I realized I'm actually Superman. I'm actually the one who makes me safe. I'm actually usually the strongest person in the room. Right. So nobody's uh, coming. Nobody's nobody, coming. Nobody's coming. You know, Mel go. Robbins says, you know, no, 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 nobody's coming to save you. But my whole life was about being small, make, finding someone, no matter how much money I made, no matter how successful I was having children, was I always wanted someone to come make me safe because I never felt safe. Mm-hmm. And, and grieving that loss, that nothing that I was going to do was ever going to have that happen. And then, uh, then finding on the other side of that 
that I am safe and that I am Superman and that I am the adult. And then, and then being able to go back and comfort that child we were talking about. I'm now able to go comfort that child and tell the child, I got this. I'm 56 years old. I have lived through hell. I have lived through heaven. I have made millions of dollars. I have been homeless and we have been fine all the way through. Mm. I gotcha. Right. <laughs> uh, now that. to be able to, now to be able to do that. Yeah. It you know allows me to mature and be an adult for the probably the first time in my life. It's such a kid thing, right? Who's going to come and take care of me? That's that's just I mean that's right out of the womb, right? It's who's who's here to take care of me? And so to grieve that, I think I think the part that I would grieve if that were my story is was that I'm going to be rescued. Like the, there's this anticipation that it's going to be amazing once I'm rescued, right? So. I'm letting go of this anticipation this like maybe today's the day or maybe this is the ne- this new book or this n- coach or this next thing is going to be the thing that saves me um that can be exciting to be on that false hope and, train and, and people make millions and millions of dollars coaxing Selling that, that out of people yeah so so it is a it is really sobering I, I the work I've done with Phil Stutz it's like a baseball bat to the gut sometimes because it's just like yeah this is not going to happen there's and it's like, no, I'm, that's why I came to you. <laughs> it's because you were going to teach me how to fight. You know? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 that that thing you're trying to avoid or that thing you're seeking, it's not happening. And it's like, oh, I don't think, I think we something's off in this. I think you don't understand me. <laughs> so, you do share, so you do share my story more than you want to admit. <laughs> do I share your story? You, you share that story more than you admit because it's like. Oh, yeah. I, all of us are seeking, yeah, like for me, there's always this level of exoneration. Like there's going to be this thing. That's the whole reason why I got into personal development. Oh, if I learn this shit enough, I can escape ever feeling scared, uncertain, painful, you know, having to work. I'm going to figure out the hacks for all of this shit and I'll be done. And it's like, oh no, you just, you just give me, you get to know it better and you get to have some skill around it, but you don't get to escape it. No. And I think that's the, that's the, there is a huge grief point around that. And it's a hard pill to swallow that there's no escape from uncertainty, effort, and, and fear. Yeah. There, there's, there's no cure for humanity. Yeah. Is, is, is this, is the sad thing that I figured out is I'm never going to shed my humanity. I'm never going, enlightenment isn't about no longer being human. Yeah. That's and, the, uh, that, that fucked me up and it freed me. And I think that's what we can all, if you look at what would tie together all of our stories up until middle age is that there is something that's going to come along and it is going to eradicate. Cause by the time I get into my, my middle age, I should have figured this out by now. So I will have yeah, been, good, good point. I will have been exonerated, whether it's my looks will have gotten me somewhere. My wealth will have gotten me somewhere. My intellect, my success, my ability to have a family, whatever it is we've all banked on. Once I get to this stage in my life, I should have it together because that's when adults, that's when you become, you know, essentially like those people have it together by that time for sure. And then you realize when you, at least for me, it's like, I'm still at the stage like, God damn, I really don't have it fucking together. I thought I was going to have it together. I thought, and having it together means that I'm now free from uncertainty and pain and, and effort. And it's like, no, they're still there. You get to have those throughout life. There's no Superman there. I, I, so this is, this is where the crash and burn. And this is where the, where, when life actually throws you to the ground, with divorce or illness or or loss of of wealth or something like that forces you into that grieving that that realization that things are out. not going things are not go- and they're not going to work out and and uh and 
you know, and then finding out who you are beyond who you're with, what you're doing, how much money you have, how you look, and finding that person uh, is about is what I find gracefully moving through midlife is whether you whether you've had the crisis or not. Well, then there's also like you start to realize, well, it has worked out. It just didn't work out like I thought it was going to be. And then we can start to be grateful for what we already have instead of this constant pursuit for what we want. And it's fine to go after the things that we want, but I think a lot of times it can eclipse us, especially if there's a security piece of like, I'll only be okay once I find Superman or I'll only be okay once I've reached this level of success. It keeps us from really appreciating, God damn, look at all, the, look at all that I've got already. And I can't you know, and, and and you and you know that that focuses me in on uh, why I'm writing this book and why this is my next passion uh, is because I look around me and I live in status symbol land outside of Washington D.C. Everybody's lawn is beautiful. Everybody's Facebook page is covered with vacations and boats and 2.5 kids and the kids are going to these great colleges and all this stuff. And whenever I get any of these people alone, they tell me about the angst, that they don't experience the success. They don't feel like they won. Their relationships are strained, all these things. They won at life on all counts, on the outside. And they can't experience it. They can't feel it. They feel like failures because it doesn't measure up to whatever that little kid goal was or whatever they thought it was. It doesn't measure up. So they feel like failures. They start looking for answers in other places. And what my, for me, because they're my contemporaries here, I want to show them that they have one, that they have it all, that they can love their spouse again, that they can love themselves, and that they can use this wealth and this privilege and all this stuff to make an impact in the world, which is going to make them feel substantive. So what is that process then? What's that process then when they've already got it and they don't see it? Do they, is it that they got to go through a heart attack or they've got to have a job loss or divorce before they see it or what? Unfortunately, most have to go through that. Most people are sent to me after something happens. What happens in that, in that, so what happens in that ordeal then, right? If we're still on the hero's journey stuff, there's an ordeal, right? There's some separation. What happens there? I guess it is a separation. There's, there's no going back. They're in the ashes. There's no going back, right? There's like, okay, I can't go back here. There's some demarcation. Right. And it happened to me. I, I lost my job and I got really, really sick and I had anxiety attacks. And that happened to me in my, in my late 40s. Mm. And it cracked me open. And I had nothing. I, you know, and I once told my brother that you know, my brother lost everything after that. And, he, and, and I, said to him, I said to him on the phone one day, I said, you know, Barry, you know, one of the greatest things to know is once they've taken everything away from you, you have nothing to lose ever again. So when I hit rock bottom, stone cold sober, uh, you know, and I thought getting sober would change everything. When I hit rock bottom and, and lost everything uh, in my late 40s, that's when I was broken open. And I decided I, I actually made the active decision that I was going to break open versus get cold and hard. Close up. And I was, and I was going I was going to use this pain to make a difference in the world. Why did you choose that? I don't, I, I, I guess Pema Trojan said we can either harden or soften. And the more vulnerable we get, the less, the less vulnerable we really are. And, uh, was that what you were thinking during those times? Pema Trojan? Well, during those, during, during those times, uh, is when, uh, uh, our, 
your friend Brian Johnson uh, created Philosopher's Notes, and I was one of his early listeners. And I was running, I was started to run, and I was listening to Philosopher's Notes every day of my life. So I was like stuffing myself with goodness. Okay. And I guess, and I guess, all that goodness told me that there was a way out of this, and the way out of this was to give was to serve the way I didn't have to feel my pain and all that because I, because I felt like just the scum of the earth was to give. And it's, and it's true. I, I have to tell you the, you know, it's not, and that's, that's the subject of a, uh, of a chapter. It's we're love. We are love. We, we're the love we're looking to experience from everybody else. I give someone love. I experience love. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a fucking junkie. For service and love and all the all the new age airy fairy shit, because but not at that point, right? There was something. No, at that that, point. Yeah, because that's what I mean. Is like the the guy that we're talking to might be right there right now, right? Like he might be in that place where he's like, "Fuck this! I want to close down. It's not worth it. This sucks. Getting older sucks. I don't see it getting any better. My dick's not going to work. My hair's falling out. Getting fatter. Like, what's the point?" Um, that's a big pivotal point. And even if he hasn't like quote lost at all, there's, it can feel like we're losing it all. If that identity is being challenged. Right. Right. And that's where I, that's where I hold their hand and I, and I have them journal and I have them feel and I hold them while they feel, uh, because, and I'm going through this with one particular person right now who just keeps sending me texts going, why does it feel like death? It is. You know, and, and and I'm um, like you'll you'll be. I promise you, you'll be okay. I promise you, you'll be okay. Uh, just 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 keep walking because I walk through it. And on the other side of this, if you keep walking, uh, is is salvation for me. Uh, and then slowly, just like an AA program, when AA when you're miserable, they say go do something nice for something someone. Mm-hmm. I'll give them the homework. Go do something nice. Each day for someone, leave someone a card, leave someone a bag of M&Ms, leave, you know, do something kind for someone every day. And that slowly builds, you know, esteem in the new person. Yeah. I think at the core of that is a choice that says, do I want to live or not? Do I really want to live? Like live with a capital L. Because if it's just like, do I just want to get by or do I want to exit? Is there a death wish here? I think it's really important to have a, a hard conversation with ourselves. Like, yeah, do I want to live? How, and it's not just how do I want to live, just do I want to live, period. I didn't want to live. I didn't want to live. I was hoping I was going to get hit by a bus, but I was never going to kill myself because I had kids. But I absolutely wanted to die. And I talked to a lot of the guys who were like, no, I would never kill myself, but I would be okay if it just stopped. Yeah. I, would, I had a recent experience. I did a medicine journey and I just thought it was going to be this. Uh, I've usually had really positive experiences and. I went down the fucking hell hole and I had a death wish. And so it really, it really surprised me that that was, I felt shame, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, who am I? If I'm having this death wish, like, what does that say about me? Is it was such a different part of my identity, even though I've had, I had a suicidal part of my life very briefly, but it was, it was an interesting thing to, to dig deep and go down in that place. You call it rock bottom, but I think at rock bottom, we figure out whether we really want to live. And it's okay. Well, if this is going to be a choice, then how am I going to show up? And we can't do that if we're medicated out of our mind and numb out of our mind. And we can't do that if we're completely checked out. But I, I think that that's a, a huge part to say, yeah, if I want to fucking live, then let's live. Let's do this. And you know, that, uh, that, that, that goes, that goes back to that, that, that choice, that moment when it, when it is, uh, uh, the moment of truth in midlife, when 
when you start to hear that voice saying something's got to change, something's got to be different, and you don't listen to it, and you medicate it to make, and you numb it to make that voice go away, or you run from that voice, or you fight that voice. Mm. The fight or flight mechanism comes in as soon as you realize, you know, that that voice is starting to tell you something needs to change here. Yeah. I am curious what in the conversation as a 40-something-year-old man was powerful that we just discussed where you're walking away with something to think about. The thing that sticks out with me, and this is where my curiosity comes in, is that as, as a coach and as someone who's been in personal and spiritual growth for almost two decades now, I'm aware of resistance, something I deal with in my own life, something I deal with in the lives of others every day. And I'm interested in that piece where we go from, okay, here's another book here, full of ideas that's not going to get implemented. And I'm not talking about your book. I'm just saying, here's, here's some other great ideas. And so when I talk about pre-fuck it, post-fuck it, yeah, post-fuck it, he's going to devour it. He's going to go in and he's going he's gonna to lift those weights. So for me, I'm trying to find this place where is it just, yeah, you got to wait until the, the grenade goes off and then you can start to pick up the pieces again of your life. Or is there a way to start to hook in that emotional part of us, the, the, the elephant that says, you know what, I want to turn directly into this process. I don't have to wait until I'm uh, a victim to it. And I'll, I'll use that word carefully. So I think there's a, there's a lot of great stuff here. I'm excited that you want to bring this conversation out and about, that you want to lead this conversation. That feels really good, especially considering your experiences at this time in life. A lot of people just kind of are on a, on a plateau. They haven't had to go through some big ordeal. So I'm aware of more of the types of guys that I deal with are, are just like on this plateau and it's, it's just grinding them. Um, and they can't, they don't feel like they can bitch about it because they, they look around and everything looks good, but underneath they're just miserable, right? So I, I, I want to find that, and this is why I'm writing my book. I, this is my perspective, is like trying to find those places where we're hooked in and we don't want to engage the process, even though it's in our best interest. It's in the best interest of everyone around us. It's in the best interest of, of the life that we have going forward, and we're just going to dig our heels in. And that's the part that's like, man, if we could figure that out, there'd be a lot less suffering in the world. So. I'm aware of my own shit and process that I'm bringing to this conversation. And, and I was, I was great to hear yours, your take on it too. And so actually I have an answer to that though. So it's one of the reasons why I send so many men to your podcast. I send people to your website and your podcast at least once a week because the slow drip of what you bring to what, what you bring to men in the world uh, just fires things off. You know, so so as men are in their 30s and in their 40s and they're moving towards this, it's the plateau that causes it. When if they stay in the plateau for a long period of time, that's when life is going to blow them the fuck up. But you're getting them when they're starting to feel the plateau and you're waking them up in the plateau. I believe that keeps them from the crisis, from the midlife crisis is saying, I'm in midlife, I'm at a plateau, what needs to change, what needs to happen here? Mm. But I do think that youth is kind of like being an alcoholic, and you ain't going to quit the youth until you hit a bottom. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I hate to say that, but it's guys like you, and it's, it's it, you know, having these conversations and these podcasts that 
are waking people up earlier. I see so many more wise and enlightened younger people these days. That's, uh, James that is I, true. There are a lot of younger people so, there. So that's part of that passion is I'd love to have the key to waking people up earlier, but I don't know. It seems to be there. Ha- it seems to be there has to be a bottom. Yeah, there's and, some version of that. I, I agree. There's something in there that that really shifts it. Um, that smack on the ass for sure. Who the fuck knows? Right on. Okay, brother. Well, it's good to see you, man. You look great, and I'm glad to hear you're doing good and and you're cranking out this work. You've uh, I remember my first impression of you was on a, I think Rich was um, coaching you on some video, and I'm just appreciating. It's just like how 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 I experience you now. It's a, it's just a different person. You're, you're, Thank you. you you've really grown, and you really take your seat. I don't have a criticism of that guy, but it's just like, wow, I have to remind myself. So that was part of the suck because when I was a sales guy and, you know, wearing my gold watch and driving a sports car, I did perfectly fine there. And then I go into this other realm where vulnerability is the price of admission and, you know, all this stuff. So I had to go through the suck of like, plus the fact that I had lost everything. I had lost, you know, so I had no, nothing. Mm. And now I have everything and I got, I don't have nearly what I had, Yeah, you know? So thank you. I appreciate that acknowledgement. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.